What's up, everybody? Welcome to The 180 with Eric Lockley. I'm your host, Eric Lockley. There are moments in life that define us, that lead us to a crossroads where we have to choose one path or a completely different path altogether. Join me as we dive into our guest turning points. Let's laugh, heal, and be inspired together as we pull back the curtain on how our guest made the 180. Sometimes life gets hard when you're on your journey. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life won't be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180, yeah. Yeah. I love that run. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We have Antoinette Asama here with us today. Yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you a little something about Antoinette. Antoinette is a first-generation Nigerian reporter and editor. Based in Brooklyn, she frequently documents and writes on the African diaspora and its cultural impact. Holding a master's degree specializing in interactive journalism and magazine writing from Northwestern, she has previously worked as a visiting reporter for Weekend Argus, a South Africa-based newspaper, and also served as the arts and culture editor for OK Africa. Antoinette currently works as a freelance writer, continuing to explore African culture through her contributions to Essence, Teen Vogue, and Vibe. Most recently, Antoinette co-founded 4-2 Creative, a newly launched agency that aims to elevate the standard for how African cultures are interpreted, represented, and engaged with on a global scale. So we are thrilled to have Antoinette here on the show. <laughs> applause, applause, some more applause. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's Thursday. You know, it's another day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another day in pandemia. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still going on. Yeah. The world is just, you know, worlding. And the, yes. <laughs> yeah. It is a wild time. Well, in the midst of wild times, there still must be games. It's game time on the 180. The name of the game is Nigeria or Nigeria No. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? What does that mean? Yeah. So this is going to be essentially true or false. I just needed to make it a you know, interesting title. Okay. So Nigeria or Nigeria No mm-hmm. seem to make sense. So I'm just going to ask you some facts about Nigeria. And you tell me if they are true or false. Okay. And they might be about the place. They might be about people. But just a few. I I think you'll be fine. Okay. (laughs) And for the effects of the game, let's say that as opposed to true or false, I'm just going to ask you, yeah or no. (laughs) Sounds good. Number one, the Niger Delta is the largest delta on Earth. Yeah or no? I'm going to say no. Correct. Whew. Okay. (laughs) Yes, that is false. Uh, It is the third largest delta on Earth, but it is not the largest. Got it. Yeah or no? Uh, Nollywood annually makes more movies than Hollywood. Yeah. Ooh, you know your stuff. (laughs) Yes, uh, Nollywood does make more films than Hollywood annually, and it is only... Uh, Bollywood, it makes the most in the world. Mm-hmm. And then Nollywood is second to 
Bollywood. So Nollywood accounts for the second largest amount of movies that are made annually all across the world, which is pretty amazing. Number three, Nigerians became the first Africans to qualify for the Olympics bobsledding event in 2018. Yes. Yeah. I know I know the girls behind that bobsled team, so Really? Yeah. Awesome. So you know, okay, well, I, Ngazi and Akuma and Seun? Mm-hmm. That say the, the names right? Mm-hmm. Yes, but they made history um by becoming the first ever African bobsled team to qualify for the Olympics. Um and they were the, also the first Nigerian athletes to compete in a Winter Olympics event. Yes. It's amazing. Shout out to them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What's up? What's up, y'all? Yvonne Orji, the Nigerian-American actress most well-known as Molly in Insecure, was a featured actress in the Broadway production of Eclipsed, a play written by Danai Gurira about the end of the Second Liberian Civil War. Is that true or false? Yeah or no? No. Was Yvonne Orji in that? <laughs> she wasn't. Okay, you just... She's just around here getting all the answers correct. You're, how'd you know that she wasn't in that? Funny story. My first day on the job working as an editor um, at OK Africa uh-huh. was the presser for the for the play. <laughs> wow. So you, so you <laughs> met the people. Yeah. Yeah. My memory is also next level. My friends call me the human encyclopedia. So I remember a lot of random things. Wow. So <laughs> Eclipsed uh, on Broadway became the first play with an all-black female creative team and cast to premiere on Broadway, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty amazing. And do you know or have you met Yvonne before? I have, yes. I've interviewed her a few times. Oh, awesome. She was in... And she's also from the DMV. Like, there's that connection, too. Yeah. yeah. Wait, where are you originally? You're from D.C.? Silver Spring. Silver Spring. Okay, I'm from Maryland, too. We're DMV for sure. I'm, uh, I Ew. grew up in Randallstown. Okay, dope. So, Baltimore County. Dope, dope. Yeah. <laughs> Connections all over. But it, also, Yvonne, when she was in the New York theater scene, she had a theater company called The Standard. Well, I'm sure, I was going to say, I wonder if she remembers. Of course she remembers. But um, <laughs> we were like bringing our theater companies up around the same time. And uh, so I would see her That's what's in up. the theater scene. I love that. Yeah. Okay, next question. A Nigerian was the first African recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize for Literature in 1986. I'm going to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> you got it right. You yeah. just keep getting them correct. You just keep on. Uh, Wole Soyinka was the first mm-hmm. African to win the Nobel Prize for Literature, which he won in 1986. And he's also, as we many people hopefully know, a social critic and political activist that, um, yeah, it was really, I think, in the, throughout the 70s and 80s, was really, really um, speaking out and got him a, no, a Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. He's a legend, for sure. Yes, certainly a legend. Now... <laughs> This I, you're gonna know this, but <laughs> the following are either the correct or not correct uh, lyrics to the Nigerian national anthem. Okay, uh, this is a section of it. it; is not the full thing. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Arise! Oh, I'm not gonna sing it because I don't know how it goes. <laughs> I would love to sing it, but I'm not gonna try to offend anybody it's by making good. up a tune to the Nigerian. Because you know, 
It'll just sound like the 180. <laughs> Arise, oh compatriots, Nigeria's call away to survive for fatherland. Um, okay. Uh, here are the actual lyrics. Or not. You told <laughs> me. Okay. Arise, oh compatriots. Nigeria's call obey to serve our fatherland with love and strength and faith. The labor of our heroes past shall never be in vain to serve with heart and might. One nation bound in freedom, peace, and unity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Am I verifying whether it's correct or not? Yeah. Is it a yah? Okay. It's correct. It's a yaw. <laughs> it's a yaw. It's a yaw. Yeah. Yes. It's the it's you the are... one. It's the one verse everybody knows. There's like another stanza. I don't really know too many people who know it by heart, at least. So. Yeah. Yeah. I should have picked that other stand up. Stand up. <laughs> it's all good. Um. Well, you got it all right. You get. It was a sweep. So you will get a the 180 podcast mug. Um, which features my face on the bottom of the mug. So after you're done with your tea, your coffee, or whatever you decide to put in your mug, you can see my smiling face. Uh- <laughs> I love it. Thank you. My mom will be proud. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, great job. So now I just want to get to know you some more. What is your favorite musical instrument and why? This is hard. Um, I, would, I probably would have to say the bass. The bass. the bass guitar okay mm-hmm. bass the bass guitar. guitar or like any sort of bass intru- instrument like i've always i'm always drawn to the bass line of a song okay yeah mm-hmm. what okay do you have since you said that is there a distinctive bass line that comes to mind as something you're like oh ooh, when that hits i'm like oof. man i'm gonna have to think on this uh the roots um hold on to just Google the lyrics one second. Well, while you do that, you won't you won't lose that. I just want to tell you mine real fast. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm thinking of when Deja Vu starts Beyonce's song Deja Vu, and mm-hmm. it's yeah that every time it's groovy. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so I found it. It's called "The Next Movement" by the Roots. Uh huh. You've okay. heard it before. I'm sure I have. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna, once we're done with this, I'm gonna listen to it and I'm gonna let you know. Wow, yeah, that's it. Um, and the listeners can go listen to it after they're done listening to the, the, this episode, you know? Um, cool. So it would be the bass guitar for you. Yeah. Now, if you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? The first thing that came to mind was water, like clean water. <laughs> wow that is powerful though you know because it's not i think you know we take for granted that we have clean water you know that's one thing Mm -hmm. but also yeah water is very key to life for sure yeah um so it's nothing wrong with saying you know i need as much water as possible i don't know you don't know especially with the way this environment is going the globe Mm -hmm. huh it's today's earth day too so you know yes happy earth day your water yeah mm-hmm. if you could choose any person from history to be your imaginary friend who would it be and why i would say josephine baker mm-hmm. um and then also yes you can have two it's your world zora neale hurston wow i love that because 
I feel like they're similar but very different at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me more about why those would be your two. What What do you feel like you could glean from them? I always loved Josephine's her one her talent and what she brought to the world and how she she really like held it down for black women at a time where it was hard trying to be an entertainer at that time and she was also a very worldly person Mm -hmm. um she accomplished so much despite those but despite like the environment she was in and everything and then i also zora zora neil hurston because um she was everything a writer would always wish to be. She was an anthropologist. She was a journalist. She wrote books. Like, unfortunately, we didn't see the breadth of her um, her catalog until well after she passed away. But she really made Mm. some significant contributions to our space and, like, what Black culture looks like in America and all that good stuff. Yeah, the way she uh, traveled down to the South and really, like you said, the anthropology aspect of her is something that I think people, not as many people are aware of, that she really kind of, I don't even, I don't want to say studied because that qualifies it in a certain way, but she got to know people and cultures and, and brought those cultures to light exactly. in, uh, in so many ways. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, this is this is great. Now, now that we know a little bit about you, your imagination, things that move you. Let's talk about your work. So. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> what, what inspired you to go into the field of journalism? So I was pretty sure of it from a young age. Um, mm. I come from a family of writers. We read a lot. Growing up on Saturdays, my mom would drop us off at the library and just make us spend the day there and, and like <laughs> read and all that good stuff. I love going through the magazines and the newspapers. Yeah. The news was always on in the house. Once mom and dad came home, no more no more cartoons. We're watching CNN. We're watching BBC. We got like a whole breath of the landscape in terms of how they wow. were talking about the world. And that kind of stuck yeah. with me. Um, definitely think that I am fulfilling a lot of like legacy, um, just knowing what my maternal grandfather was like, he was a writer, he was a poet, he never had the opportunity to be published. And so for me to, it kind of feels like a full circle moment in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So telling stories has always been something that I've been drawn to, Um, and I always wanted to learn about people. Like I'm very curious and just wanting to understand people as well. Um, so that, I think that's kind of like the underbelly of why I chose this field and also representation Mm. and making sure that our stories and how we exist in our our respective cultures as like a global black community mm-hmm. is interpreted and documented in the most accurate way from someone who comes from there because we've seen you know throughout our schooling and even just the way the media portrays black people all over the world like it's problematic and could use work even after all these years so i just want to make sure i'm contributing to that discourse in some way mm. So, <laughs> I started myself with that one, but yes, yes, absolutely. And I caught that you mentioned, you know, your mother would drop you off at the library on Saturdays. Tell me about your experience growing up as first generation Nigerian, because I have friends that are first generation, and just the, that experience is so unique. And um, so yeah, tell me about what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so I think my 
experience in particular is interesting just because of who my parents are and how they approach navigating the world. Of course, when you move to a different country, it's it's a lot to handle because you're leaving what you started behind. Like my parents left behind a lot when they immigrated here with my siblings. And then mm. I was born in 1992, like a year after we immigrated to this country. Mm. And so they left behind a lot. And But at the same time, they made sure that they still instilled where we come from, our culture, our customs to the best that they could because they were working a lot in turn, you know. But they also made sure not to limit us and to make sure we were still um, introduced and exposed to what to our environment that was around us. So I'm very much of yeah. my culture, but at the same time, like I have one foot outside. I have an understanding of like what I grew up around. And growing up in the DC area is super unique because we have the Smithsonian museums. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cultural things happening in DC. Like you mentioned, you're from Baltimore County. My mom used to work in Baltimore City, so yeah. Either as an ESL student, she also helped like um, at-risk kids gain their GEDs in in the inner cities, and so I'll come to work with her sometimes and just see how she navigates that space. So it's a lot of those things that they were very deliberate in making sure that we were exposed to, that made us become more like well-rounded and global-leaning people than like insular. Because mm. sometimes being a kid of immigrants. It has its faults in the sense that you find yourself being sheltered, but that shelteredness can come from the fact that, like, your family can be uh, afraid of what's going on outside. And rightfully so, you know, because you're, you're in a city, you're in an area that you're not used to, you're navigating um, language barrier, mm-hmm. you're navigating like what crime, what crime looks like, you right. know, like you're about, you know, we're black, so anything can happen, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter where we're from, you know, like there's, there's that real fear yeah. there. But despite that, I've, I appreciate my parents pushing through that because they in turn had to push through it themselves, but they also had to do it alone, you know, so yeah, I think that kind of sums up what it was like. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no. It's a it's um it's such a unique experience of trying to balance culture, trying to learn new culture, trying to balance expectations, trying to especially when you have kids, trying to set exactly. them up but also mm-hmm. not lose your yourself and not lose your culture. It's it's uh just certainly a unique experience that can look completely different from one person to another exactly but it's certainly uh a experience that is hard to i shouldn't say hard it is just it's unlike if you weren't an immigrant if you weren't first generation you know it's just not it's different Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and given that i think about school i think about even in my school um specifically like elementary middle school that age Whenever somebody came in with a last name that was different or, you know, there were ways that uh, people were othered. Did you ever experience that in school or, you know, during, um, yeah, as you were coming, growing up? And how did you how did you address that? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, when I was in elementary school, I was always eager to tell people where I'm from. Mm. I was excited to share with them about it. Like, But I've had instances where I would have an averse reaction where they either like the kid didn't really care or people proceeded to try to make fun of me or things like that. 
And I'll come home and talk to my mom about it. And she was like, you know, sometimes you have to pick and choose who who you share yourself with because they might not necessarily have Mm. those same intentions of wanting to be open with you as well. And then you also have, and that's when I started to learn about the fact that people had stereotypes about certain peoples and where they came from. And I think another instance where um, I was even more vigilant was 9-11, unfortunately. Um, my, My last name isn't a common last name in Nigeria and sounds similar to Bin Laden and and stuff like that. So definitely got made fun of from that point on. Um, Yeah, it was kind of wild. And you were, and you would have been in middle school? I was, uh, I was still, I was still in elementary school because it was 2001. Yeah. yeah. 2001. Yeah. Yeah. I was like in the third or fourth grade. Yeah. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but overall, I didn't really care if people if people made fun of me. Like some sometimes, um, especially when I transitioned into a private school for middle school, we had to bring our lunch every day, and I'll bring leftovers. Uh huh. And I'll eat it. Some people, you know, were insecure and would like be like, "Oh, that smells weird." I'm like, "It smells good to me," and I'm going to eat it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, leave me alone. Yes. <laughs> like, you don't have to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that stuff happened, but yeah, kids are gonna be kids. Like, I'm not about to let that sh- like shake me or shake who I was. Like, and I feel like at that point it helped me realize just how powerful it is to work on being sure of yourself and who you are. Mm, yeah. And that, I think that laid the foundation for that, too. That's awesome. Besides your parents, who are some people in your life that you feel like helped you to build that foundation of being sure of yourself? And at such a, I'll say at such a young age, because it's all relevant, but yeah, truly, at such a young age, having such an extensive career in journalism, that's that's really a huge achievement. So I'm sure there were supporters around you. Who were some of those folks and what did they do for you? Mm. Um, definitely my siblings, like my older brother and my older Mm. sister. I'm the youngest, so definitely looked up to them growing up and, (laughs) um, how they navigated life and their careers was definitely an inspiration for me. Um, I'm also grateful to be, to have been raised around like close, uh, family friends and community members that were invested in our interests and things like that. Like one person that comes up is my uncle Tayo. His name is Tayo Odenike. Mm. Um, He is a visual artist and he also works in like advertising back in Nigeria. He would always come to DC like every year, every other year to do a gallery show in Georgetown. And it would be a whole like thing for us to go. And like, you know, I was a kid. I was like, oh, gallery openings. What is this? Uh Like, you know, I was exposed (laughs) to that life very early and I loved it. I just loved how um, unapologetic he was with his art and even how he was able to develop his craft came came from a perspective of someone having to explore the country more. Um, He's a part of a group of artists called the Nsuka Seven, and they were artists that came to the southeastern part of the country after the Civil War happened. So this was like early mid-70s was when the war ended, and Mm. they were able to study um, Igbo art Igbo motifs and I'm that's my ethnic group I'm Igbo and um and kind of like interpret that into his art so like his work is definitely reminiscent of like Van Gogh with like the curved lines and Mm -hmm. very abstract and stuff like that but he is a riot 
he's definitely an inspiration <laughs> for me till today for sure um definitely liking him to be like a second dad to me so that's that's beautiful and it, it, mm-hmm. it um highlights that exposure to the arts is so important as a young person being able to like you said go to art galleries go to concerts i remember my, my grandmother um she used to take me I'm, i don't uh, yeah okay i was like did we come to harlem but no we would in baltimore go and see the uh harlem boys choir mm-hmm. and i was and you know i think when i was five six seven eight or whatever i was just like uh, why do i have to sit still um but eventually i recognized that it you know i was i was inspired i it's i saw myself in them you know there was so much and so yeah getting that exposure to the arts and seeing people who look like you do things that maybe you don't always see them doing um you know on mass media the mass media doesn't show them all the time doing that is always great definitely now interactive journalism what does that mean (laughs) pretty much it just means journalism for the web and at the time I was in grad school a lot of these programs and even a lot of major media entities were just figuring out what that meant because you know the print circuit and what that and what that meant to the industry was changing you know there there a lot there are a lot less paywalls at the time but then media entities were figuring out okay how do we monetize this if we're not going to charge people um how do we still um implement the same um foundation and the same like processes that we would do in print but for the web and so mm. that that meant um for us to still learn the same things that we would learn in a newsroom. Um, mm-hmm. I also had to learn a little bit of like coding language so being able to tell interactive stories online and i'm not sure if you're familiar with um a new york times package called snowfall but it essentially it was super cool i would look it up and we used that as 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 a case study essentially it was one of the first like interactive reported pieces that Mm. was made available online and it took you through an incident that happened where an avalanche a major avalanche happened with a group Mm -hmm. of like um, folks trying to climb a mountain and it documented how the folks who survived were rescued and so you had audio so it was, it was all sensory so you had imagery you had um, movement happening you had data yeah. um, you had audio and you had um, text usually mm. if it was like a normal piece that was digital you would just see blocks of images and text underneath right. you know you yeah, you yeah. probably zone out and want to click out, but with this, like you, you would scroll through and it'll change as you would um, immerse yourself into the story. So we would take hmm. times to study how that happened, and in the back end, it required a lot of um, collaboration with folks who do like web design and things like that. And so that it really helped us think about how do we package our stories in a way that will make people want to interact with it and engage yeah. with it, which in turn, you know, yields different, um, goals or KPIs, key performance indicators. Yeah. So like time spent <laughs> on the site is super important to a lot of publications right. these days. Um, what they click, as they in, engage with your website, things like that. So we learned about all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, keeping mm-hmm. people engaged is, I would say, probably harder harder and harder as we get more into the digital 
age of like mm-hmm. quick you know what i mean we want to see things quickly we want to be able to grasp it really quickly so exactly. um, mm-hmm. so that absolutely makes sense in terms of how do we make sure that we're keeping their attention mm-hmm. and and they're not going to the next site or the next page um and okay with with okay africa which you were a contributor to for some time i know that they pretty much aim to um, kind of highlight things that are happening all around Africa, which is such a huge aim given how big Africa is, how mm-hmm. large the continent is. Mm-hmm. I would say, is there a is there a place or a population that you think doesn't get as much attention when we talk about Africa? Yeah, um, I talk about this with my friends all the time, especially my friends who are from these said countries and regions. Mm-hmm. Being that in America, we're English. We're an English-speaking country, so it kind of ties back to like the language barrier thing I was talking about earlier. Mm. There's so much dope things happening in Francophone Africa and the mm-hmm. pockets of Africa where they speak Portuguese, so like Angola, Mozambique, um, mm-hmm. Cape Verde, and stuff like that. Like I definitely. As someone who is English speaking first, I try to go out of my way to see what's going on in these areas and try to connect mm-hmm. with creatives there as well, because they put me on as too. That thing, that's one thing I loved yeah. about that that job was just being able to meet so many people online because I wasn't there. I was here in Brooklyn. So <laughs> for the one way for me to feel like I was back over there is when I open my computer and I'm on Twitter or if I'm doing like a, a Zoom call or like if I'm um, watching a festival that's happening on the continent, mm-hmm. you know, that that was like one thing that I appreciate the most about the internet is the fact that there's a way for us to connect with people who are so far, who are so far away, but like, yeah, you know, it kind of makes the world feel smaller a little bit. So I definitely would say as someone who is in the West and is in this like English first type of space, I definitely make a point to immerse myself in and try to put people on in terms of what's going on in like the francophone speaking countries and like the portuguese speaking countries yeah that's mm-hmm. i i was uh honored and privileged enough to visit mozambique for mm-hmm. a short time i think i was there for like five six days because i was okay. i lived in south africa for a little bit oh dope <laughs> yeah yeah so i was like all right let me check out mozambique and it's so beautiful and um but like like you said we don't i feel like I don't hear as much about it um, as a place that is amazing and has such a beautiful culture. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that it's a Francophone African um, nation as opposed to primarily English speaking or one of the larger um, nations. Yeah. Okay. So given your work uh, with interactive journalism, um, regular journalism I'm like what does regular journalism mean anyway? <laughs> um, but the the span of work that you've done what is something that you're yet to do that you really are, are looking forward to um yeah next up for me I'm definitely trying to write books mm-hmm. I okay. think it's time mm-hmm. yeah it's time to write books yeah it's time to write books and with the same aim you know like I'm always a proponent of trying to preserve and document in different mediums because we don't really know yes. what's going to happen to the internet. <laughs> How so many true. years from now, you know, it keeps evolving. So it's always good to try to curate in different mediums. And I definitely think like book writing is definitely something that I want to delve into next. 
Um, I want to do more deep dives into the work that I've explored with my work. So um, especially within the African pop landscape on the continent and the diaspora and how over Mm. the past few years it's become more appealing to the wider like entertainment world like the world is paying attention to paying attention to, paying attention to it now sorry yeah, um yeah, and i at least want to make sure we acknowledge and recognize the genesis of it because mm. before drake tapped whiz kid for one dance uh-huh. There, <laughs> there's a whole slew of artists, and I know it's a it's a bop. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole slew of artists from Nigeria who kind of paved the way for these guys, you know. And yeah. we talk about it here and there, and you know they do get their flowers. But I would like to see more of us like really solidify what that origin story is because yeah. we're the only give them a bouquet, mm-hmm. and not only just the artists but the producers. I definitely feel like African producers, yeah. World over don't get as much credit because they are definitely play a pivotal role as to why these songs hit you know yeah um so i'm more so curious about that i'm also very interested in women's contributions to the entertainment space of course um from the legends to the women that we have both b- bubbling up in the scene now just want to mm. give them their rightful space too so Okay, well, we, yeah. we will be looking forward to Antoinette Asama's book uh, <laughs> when whenever it's ready to drop. Uh, now, tell us about a moment, a transitional moment, a moment where you were at one place and you determined, hey, I got to I got to turn this around. Um, what is a 180 in your life? I would say like my 180 happened fairly recently. Um, As we all know, last year was just a crazy year for everyone with the pandemic. Um, Yeah. And even just being here in New York and seeing how like the first wave hit New York and the amount of people that we lost, like the real anxiety that kind of pent up in everyone and how we're still kind of like reckoning with that. As that was happening, (laughs) I was a few months into freelancing. I had a pretty promising, like, first, like, quarter, quarter two of work lined up. Mm -hmm. But then once lockdown happened, layoffs were happening. You know, it was like a trickle effect. So a lot of layoffs were happening. A lot of budgets were being cut. And I lost a lot of work as a result. Also at the top of lockdown was when my um, fabulous colleagues and I launched our agency. (laughs) (laughs) We launched at the top of March in 2020, thinking that our year was going to be popping with like events we were going to help throw. And a lot of in-person things you're planning on doing, but we really had to pivot, you know? That pivot. Um, The pivot. The pivot is real. And also having to think quickly, too, because we really Mm -hmm. didn't have the time to wallow and the loss in that regard, you know? And because we took this risk to even start something to begin with, but let alone trying to make it work at a time where you weren't really sure how you're going to like, like make your money. Yeah. Um, it really taught me about faith Mm. and collaboration, like the power of collaboration and the power of community. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also took that time, at least going back on like my freelance work, 
saying like, okay, if, you know, the setup I had before isn't going to work now, maybe I can be a bit more intentional about the work that I do and like who I work with. Mm. And having that mindset helped me land pretty like dope opportunities and helped me meet dope editors that I've worked with and even fellow writers as well. Um, And despite the fact that I was just freaking out about how I was going to pay rent, Mm -hmm. things fell into place. (laughs) I also had the support of my family. You know, we were all in the struggle together, but it was rough. But I definitely came out of 2020 feeling fulfilled because I was doing Mm. work that was rooted in my purpose. And I was working alongside people that were about that, like, purpose-driven, impact-driven life. Yeah. Like... There's a if there's a time for us to, you know, sit in our truth, it was last yeah. year. Yeah, I, I love that you said um, intentional. You said you had the time to be intentional and, and intentional and purpose driven because I do think for certain the what what I'll call the great pause of the pandemic uh, was an opportunity for a lot of us to reflect and to. Um, consider I know for me personally it reminded me that like I create my life (laughs) while Mm -hmm. I was stuck in a box of my apartment I was like well if I can't go anywhere else it's it really is up to me to determine what this is going to look like exactly and um so like you said being intentional about that considering what is on purpose versus what's just to stay busy what's just to look look like i'm somebody or you know all that other stuff is not necessary um when it boils down to it so it's like what what are we mm-hmm. yeah what are we doing all that for if it's not on purpose if, if we're not on purpose mm-hmm. um so and you being able to acknowledge that in doing that work you were able to make a pivot and you were able to um have the faith and recognize that you had support around that you had folks to collaborate with to talk to um yeah it's it's uh that this time <laughs> i mean because we're kind of still in this time it's it's a wild time we're still it's not over we're still in it <laughs> it's not over like and even just going back to what you were saying about you create your own life like we're literally yeah. creating our own futures we're creating our own lives like yes. it's still pretty malleable of a time right now so we really have to be able to flow with it, but also mm-hmm. take that time to really determine like, okay, what, how, how do I fit in all of this right now? Yeah. And what do I need to do to actually act on it? Because being aware of it mentally is one thing, but then you kind of, I can, I tend to kind of get caught up in my thoughts a lot. So I always have to check myself like, okay, I actually need to do it now. <laughs> yes. I understand. That was the thing. Cause I'm with you on that. I can be an overthinker and overanalyzer and a perfectionist. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes I'm like, okay, Eric, I I mean, you know, we all talk. It's not too weird to talk to yourself, people. I hope everyone knows that. But so sometimes I said, I'm like, okay, Eric, just do it. Just do it. Stop thinking about it. Um, Because, yeah, we can get stuck in that thinking cycle. Mm With So where would you say you were before? And how are you different now? I mean, I, you talked about the lessons. So mm-hmm. wh- what would you say you thought bef- before, the, you know, this pivot that you had to make? And what? how are you thinking differently now? Um, and you mentioned this like a few seconds ago, just like what, what looking busy looks like. Mm. Like 
and how time consuming that is and the hustle and bustle of of everything like i spent a good chunk of my time commuting and moving around literally moving around and (laughs) (laughs) and how exhausting that can be and how you really don't have that much time in the day to actually do the work because you're busy running around everywhere now i'm stuck inside i'm like oh Mm -hmm. i actually have to face some things now (laughs) right right you know it's like the work was the <laughs> it's like the work was like we gotta face yeah it. like mm-hmm. the hustle bustle the work at times too was a distraction yeah. to the real stuff that i just was not trying to face personally yeah. mm-hmm. and also just and i feel like i um was in a place in terms of my writing where I felt like I had to just throw pitches out left and right. And just the whole process of trying to land a piece as a freelancer is super difficult and tedious. Yeah. Mm. And I just realized, okay, this is not working. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also knew I had to be careful about the, the amount of ideas I was throwing out there because there's like once once people see it, they can nab it and then roll with it. You know what I mean? So being able to navigate yeah. that, protecting like your personal IP, what that looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I just I just sit and find comfort in. How am I gonna say this? Hmm. I I sit and find comfort in things just falling into place, knowing that I'm doing what I need to do in the meantime. Like, mm. you know, like not forcing it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Not thinking. I mean, I think yeah. this is certainly something that I and uh, I'm sure many people uh, deal with is like pro- productivity is not the only answer and it's not the only way there must be stillness intentionality trust faith you know it's not like yeah i think especially the american school system kind of is like you just got to work hard you just got to do well you just got to get the good grades and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. things will happen but you just keep going just keep we keep working really hard keep working really hard Mm -hmm. don't stop working really hard eventually Mm -hmm. it's like no that's not always the answer and it's not the only answer you can but you can work really hard and and not really exactly yield what they said you're supposed to yield once you (laughs) i've yielded student loan debt and stuff you know (laughs) so i have to to think smart yeah like i have to i have to (laughs) amen (laughs) like i have to i have to think smart about it because sure i'm trying to build my life but i also have this responsibility now Mm -hmm. because i was supposed to be working in an industry where i'll get a decent paying job so i can start paying that off responsibly didn't really happen that way Mm. you know yeah and i felt like i was better off like working for myself and being subjected to a corporate structure that isn't always about like lifting up um lifting people up yeah you know and it was it's also a very volatile space and so even like throughout the past year i'll just be seeing how many like legacy publications and even um budding digital platforms that will be shutting down or they'll be taking Mm -hmm. doing furloughs and people my peers losing their jobs left and right and i'm just like yo i'm kind of grateful i got out when i did right yeah because Three, six months later, I probably would be out of a job now, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's a lot It's a lot to consider. And this is a moment that I want to say to any of our listeners, support your freelance artists. Thank you. For sure. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> when they say they have something coming out, look at it, comment, share it. 
and mm-hmm. get in there ask them their Venmo. Give them a little love gift. You know what I mean? Because the bills keep coming. <laughs> and, they don't stop. And the work, <laughs> right? And the work ideally keep, keeps coming, but sometimes there's there's pauses, and sometimes it's not certain, and sometimes the check that was supposed to be here last week still ain't here three weeks later. You know, so I think exactly mm-hmm. the the life of a freelance artist is risky. A freelancer in general is risky. Um, but it comes with great reward. But I think few people understand how challenging <laughs> it can be, you know. So I think whenever we can give freelance artists a surprise, it is a welcome surprise to be like, hey, here's a little money. I'll take you out for lunch. You, you know, just, it's, it's, yeah, think of your freelance artists in your life or your freelancers, freelancers, not just artists. Yeah, yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> um. So as you as you continue to move forward with your writing, I know you have an article. I think it's an article, but in essence coming out, right? Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So this is going to be my first time being in print, like a print magazine on this side. So I'm super excited. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank yes. you. Oh, I, I have to play uh, something. Okay, here we go. More applause. More applause. Congratulations. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I... I saw you posted about it on Twitter, I think, um, the mm-hmm. Essence um, issue that's going to come out April 27th. Is that right? Yes, it's going to be on newsstands April 27th. Um, it's for their May-June issue. Yeah. And they have a pretty big spread in there where they kind of chronicle the, lot, the past year, but through the lens of the resurgence of social justice movements that we saw, because there are a lot of reckonings mm. that happened last year. Yes. You know, Black people were still being killed we learned of the news of more injustices happening in our community with like Breonna Taylor, George Floyd and everything. And so they tapped a lot of people in that space to contribute. And I was asked to give a reflection on um, where my mind was at when we heard the news that Breonna Taylor's, um, the folks that were involved in in Breonna Taylor's case would be, Mm. would not be convicted or taken to court or like pretty much that determination that we all needed to hear, you know? Um, yeah. And at that time, I was on on assignment for, for Essence with the editor that I was work, working with. Her name is Corey Murray. Um, and I missed the deadline. And it was just <laughs> because I was numb. I couldn't work or anything. Yeah. I just shut down, you know? And myself and my other, like, women in like our circle we were all feeling pretty down in the same way and so i had mm-hmm. to circle back and say hey Corey, i'm so sorry like i this news really hit me in a different way and i'm just like i can't even write right now like i'm so sorry like i'll get this to you by monday and you yeah. know i got a got a little tap on the wrist like hey just communicate and i'm like yeah i, I hear you like this is on me i apologize um i got you and so mm-hmm. a few months ago when they were putting together this package, she circled back to that moment and she and she said that I didn't even think of how it could be impacting people in different ways. And the fact that you shared that with me gave me pause. And I just want to give you an opportunity to kind of like flush that out a little bit in this package. Hmm. Because for her, everyone kind of handles these things differently, especially with, yeah. with us. Like we have to still function somehow. <laughs> Is you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, real fast, I just I just want to pause your story because that I, I just got ooh, I got a little goosebumps mm-hmm. because it just showcases that your authenticity about how you were feeling, that you know, then you you said, hey, I, I couldn't make the deadline, I I just 
you know, I was stuck and struck by the this decision that they're not the officers aren't going to be charged. And even though you got like a slap on the wrist about it, then it opened the door. You know what I mean? Your your authentic self, oh, you being true to your authentic self opened the door later on. And in that moment, you might not have been able to see that that was going to do that that was happening. But it it really did. I just think that's such a, a beautiful lesson. And mm. uh, just wanted to take a moment to say that. But yeah, continue. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And Corey shared when she circled back with me about how like she saw the news. She was she was, you know, pretty taken aback by it, but she had to continue yeah. her day. And usually I'm able to function that way. But just that day, I, I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. And it took me back to also when um, we saw what happened in Baltimore with Freddie Gray. Mm-hmm. I was in Chicago at the time in grad school, seeing everything unfold um, at that time. And I and it brought me back to that moment where I felt similarly like I could not work. Like, I had to go back to my professors mm-hmm. and be like, so this is happening. <laughs> I right. can't funk, you know? And and it it kind of took speaking up for them to say, I didn't even think of how it could impact you. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> why wouldn't it impact mm-hmm. your Black students? But anyway, um, <laughs> so that was definitely um, a piece that I, w- I was able to flesh out in that package. I'm super excited for everyone to see it. Um, but I ultimately just touched on what happened like i summarized what happened um i summarized just how i was feeling and the kind of conversations i was having with with my circle around the matter and Mm. just reflecting on how for a lot of us black women our activism is rooted in the day-to-day is rooted in staying alive Mm -hmm. and last summer we also had to witness um Oluwatoyan Salau go missing and then she we she winds up being killed and yeah. even this week there's M- Micaiah Bryant and things like yes. that and so when I knew this piece was coming and I don't know why I thought this but I thought that hey maybe you know things will be a little bit calm when this drops no like nope. the past yeah. week and a half has been wild. wild and I'm like damn this is still relevant it's still relevant. Yeah. Like, it's still in the present tense. Like, I, I just would wish that sometimes we were able to talk about these things in the past tense. But clearly, that's not really the case anymore. Yeah. So that's one of the pieces that's going to be there. I also have a second feature in there. Um, I was able to interview a South African actress. Her name is Tuso um, Mbedu. And she mm-hmm. is the star in Barry Jenkins' Amazon limited series called The Underground Railroad. Awesome. That's dropping in May. And and yeah. I was just thinking about this earlier today. Like those both of those stories kind of tie together in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. What like what freedom and justice looks like. And one instance is like the past. And now we're also just reflecting on the present and what that looks like for us too. Wow. Well, I'm I'm definitely gonna go and get the my physical copy of the magazine and be Thank like, you. Oh, that's what that oh look, that's what that <laughs> <laughs> um uh but yeah i mean everything that you've mentioned right now it's so um we could we could talk for a very long time about mm-hmm. all of it but i think it is so important that we share the reality that day to day it can be difficult to get out of bed and know that some people don't recognize your life or humanity as valuable like yeah it's it's um it's scary and uh i wish we didn't like you said i wish this were past tense i wish we didn't have to continue to talk about it or to have to write about it 
but it seems like it is it's still relevant and um mm-hmm. i'm grateful that perhaps there's some progress with seeing the uh conviction of Derek Chauvin but um you know the same the very same day another black person was shot by cops so uh, uh it's it's tough yeah. it's tough yeah it's a lot <laughs> It's a lot. Um, it's a lot, yeah. And within, I'll ask this, within the global context of the diaspora, what is a, what is a hope that you have for us as we, you know, continue to acknowledge Black folks as diasporic, as a collective? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a big question. That's a whole other conversation, too. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I love questions like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think... In short, just coming from a place of understanding, like acknowledging what makes us different, but also Mm. being able to want to be open to constantly learning about what what connects us. And also looking back, because looking back also informs why things are the way they are and why we're connected. Yeah. Um, And I try to explore that through the lens of the arts and culture because the culture reflects the times it reflects who we are like our being our essence um and it's also a good entry point for people who are interested in learning about things manifesting in a way in a different area or a different community in an accessible way um so that's my goal i just want us to be united (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I know it's like can we all just get along? Yeah, unite, black people, black people. <laughs> yes, but yes, because it's like there is, yeah, there's there's a, a certain amount of resilience that we consistently showcase, and it's like if there can be both solidarity and resilience, then it's like we're we're unstoppable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so many things that you know have the potential to divide us, but it's about uh, really being able to see how much connects us and how powerful we are when we're connected. Yeah. So, yes. For sure. Okay, I'm going to share a quote with you, and I just want to get your thoughts on, on yeah, what you think of it, your response. Okay. <laughs> All right. What should young people do with their lives today? Many things, obviously. But the most daring thing is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. And that's a quote from Kurt Vonnegut. Mm. Yeah, loneliness. The opposite of that is to be together, to be with people, to be in community. Um, Yeah, I definitely see that manifest digitally. Mm -hmm. Um, When we were outside, I saw that manifest like physically and like even... Um, pockets of joy that I had last summer when we could kind of get some fresh air and stuff would be we would all convene at the park and yeah. break bread together, play music. Even um, during um, the protests that were happening across the country, one action was called the layout in Brooklyn. Mm. And we would go to Fort Greene Park 
um, which is in Fort Greene, like um, Spike, Spike Lee's um, film headquarters are there as oh, well. Yeah. yeah. And so we would just take up space in the park because like that neighborhood used to be diverse. It used to be a lot diverse than what it looks like now. Um, mm-hmm. It used to be a black area. And so, you know, the organizers of that effort would invite people to come like, let's actually rest. Let's actually like support mm-hmm. each other's initiatives. Like they'll play music. They'll do like meditations, breathing exercises you know really yeah. being community in a, in a time where it was it's scary it's still it's scary but like it was very particularly scary for a lot of folks like because of all those things that were happening to us so when I think of that quote I definitely think of those moments for sure yeah. and how like as mu- there are a lot of powers that be that we see and some that we don't really see that don't want that for us like they want to destroy that heart that we still have um, mm. And so I'm always I always take comfort in seeing things like that happen, and also just see people convene digitally as well, too. So yeah. I just would want us like young folk to keep pushing in that in that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Taking up space together. Mm-hmm. There's something beautiful about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, uh, Antoinette, for for being here at the 180 and. I want to make sure that guests follow you and stay connected with you. So make sure you follow Antoinette on Instagram at Just Antoinette and on Twitter at Antoinette Asama. If you are listen to this podcast, then you will have seen how she spells her name because you will have selected the episode <laughs> as opposed to me spelling it out all right now. Yeah, but it's all, it's all good. They can Asama. read. <laughs> Yes, they can read. They can read, hopefully. (laughs) Um, But yeah, make sure to stay connected with her and look out for that article, uh, the feature in Essence that's coming out April 27th. That'll be out by the time this comes. um, Mm. We release this episode. So go go to your store and get that Essence magazine. Thank Um, you so much. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. You're awesome. And we look forward to that book that's going to be coming out in a few years. Claiming it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. Have a good one. Thank you all for joining us. The 180 is produced by David Treatman with audio production and editing by Mike Luno. Original music composed by Jarrett Landon and sung by yours truly. And digital portraits by Byron McRae. If you like what you heard, tell your friends. We need your help to spread the love and inspiration. Follow us on all social media at The180Pod and visit our website at www.the180pod.com. If you want to help support these stories, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. You can get access to chat more with me. You can also get exclusive content, merchandise, and you can hear episodes early. Visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash the180pod. Until next time, I'm your host, Eric Lockley. Take care and be blessed. Know that you'll have a blessing if you just keep on pressing. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life won't be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180, yeah.